It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We are brought to you by 7th Element, and I am your host, Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Daniel, it's good to have you back this week. Yeah, no, sorry I had to be absent last week. I had a practice that I had to attend, but it is so good to be back here talking hockey before the trade deadline. Oh, what an incredible day it was. So we have so much to cram into this episode, but... I heard you guys did just fine. You had Robbie on the show. Always awesome. Tons of knowledge. He knows everything. Yeah, every time we have him on the show, he just has so much knowledge. Like, I don't know where he stores it all. But if you guys didn't hear the episode that we had Robbie on, go to uh, the show in iTunes, scroll back one episode, and you'll see the show with Robbie. Click that. Learn yourself some hockey knowledge. So as Daniel said, this is the NHL trade deadline. It ended today at 2 o'clock Central Time, 3 o'clock on the East Coast. This has been one of the more active NHL trade deadline days that I can remember in quite some time, guys. Yeah, that's right, boys. It is trade deadline day, one of the best, most exciting days of the hockey year. I even woke up and told my wife this morning, I'm going to have to bring some an extra battery to work because I'm going to be on my phone nonstop all day. And it has been something to watch all day long, I have to say. Big trade class this year. It's been a great day. Yeah, actually, it's been the highest trade volume activity since 2010. Oh, so yeah. we had 32 trades today involving 55 players. <laughs> so lots of activity. So I mean, compared to last year, we thought last year's was fun. That was 20 trades involving 32 players. So yeah. 13 more players, or actually 23 more players were dealt this year. That's incredible. I feel like there might have been one or two more high dollar names dealt last year. Yes. But this year had had a wider swath, more players overall. There's a lot of middle ground. Yeah. I feel like second line players, you know, some depth positions. But yeah, yeah last year picks. was last year was like the big names like Duchesne and Stone and yeah, et cetera. So well it seemed like a lot of the defensemen went a little early. And so now we were catching up with everybody else. And I think out of the thirty one teams, was there a team that actually did not get their hand at anything? Like today, not counting what happened, you know, two days ago or last month, but I can't remember of a single team that I came through. I was like, man, they didn't do anything. I mean, even the Preds did something and we kind of thought they were going to stay and stand pat today. Yeah. Most, most of the teams had some smaller, like uh, menial trades, really uh, add some depth. I know we'll get into the, the Preds trade later on. Uh, you had a lot of teams that were sellers. I know New Jersey's been a seller. Ottawa's been a seller. Detroit's a seller. I mean, they, they've been a seller. He's already, yeah, Matt's over here giving me the look. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. Montreal has been a seller, which is shocking because we'll get into how many tr- like picks these teams have in the first and second round. It's almost mind-boggling how much they have stockpiled over the last two years. And we've seen some teams send players that they know that they want to win a cup because they're close to retiring have moved them. So, for example, Patrick Marlowe of the San Jose Sharks got moved to Pittsburgh today for the possibility that they could win the cup. And San Jose has already said that once the season's over, he's more than welcome to come back to San Jose. Yeah, they were even talking about at one point potentially moving Jumbo Joe, which is shocking to me. I, I don't know if I could physically picture him yeah, that, in anything other than a shark jersey. That would have hurt my heart to see uh, Jumbo leave. But 
Yeah, surprisingly, actually, uh, Marlowe and Jumbo. So TSN did a, uh, a top 50 players to watch at the draft deadline, and uh, they were number 12 and 13. So while Marlowe got shipped off to Pittsburgh, Jumbo stayed home, and the organization made it clear that uh, Marlowe can come home after uh, you know whatever period of time it is that he can come back. That's fine. But just give him a chance to uh, make another cup run before he retires. So I think that's nice. And I especially would appreciate if they could come home and play uh, the last little, play a few games, play the last year, whatever, end your career with the team you've been playing for, give them like a, a go-out victory party. I don't like it when uh, players get shipped off for the last uh, year of their contract and uh, retire with the team they haven't played even a year for. So. so of all the teams that did trade today, if I was asking you what team do you think came out with the biggest trade or was the biggest winner, who would you say it was? Your personal opinion. You know, it's kind of hard to tell just yet because they, they every year they make a list that compiles all the trades, you know, one by one, which team got what. And they haven't come out with that list yet because it's just uh, two or three hours after the deadline has passed. So we haven't quite got to compile a list yet. Uh, I'll have to say that Ottawa probably lost the most. They shipped out J.G. Pajot and uh, Vladislav uh, Nemesnikov out. So they were probably the biggest sellers. And those were the two players uh, that were the highest on the list. J.G. Pajot was number two on the watch list and Nemesnikov was number six. So uh, Ottawa's definitely probably the biggest sellers this, this time around. Well, it's funny you mentioned Pajot because that's who I thought the Senators got the biggest return for this year. So if Cat Friendly has it already and that the Senators for sending a J.G. Pajot over to the Islanders, they got a 2020 conditional first round pick, a 2020 second round pick, a 2022 conditional third round pick which is not a bad haul for somebody who plays in the middle of the lineup. And also they got rid of Tyler Ennis as well to Edmonton. So very interesting what's going on for the Senators. I mean, hey, I like Pajot, so uh, hopefully he'll pick it up uh, in, in the Islanders. The Islanders were stocking up, man. They, they're locking it down on defense, and uh, Pajot's a great two-way, two-way player, shuts it down on defense. So, man, they're looking pretty good, honestly. Uh, I think I have to go with the Washington Capitals. Uh, honestly, it felt like... It was like the caps and pens were trying to outdo themselves for the day. And like, because you know, there's an inevitable second round matchup <laughs> between Every these two year. teams. It's kind of like, which one is going to load up enough to beat the other one this year? Well, I mean, as we said earlier, Marlowe is already a Pittsburgh Penguin, but uh, let, let's think about the Capitals. They actually got um, Kovachuk and Daniel Sprong from the Ducks, which I thought was a very underrated trade or it went kind of under the radar. Um, I, I don't know. Daniel Sprong actually has 27 points in 39 games this season. So decent production. And then uh, obviously, you know what you're getting with uh, Kovachuk. So uh, you're already adding to a very deep roster that is very offensively minded in the Capitals area. So uh, I'm definitely interested to see how that pans out for them. They've, they've kind of been slacking as of re uh, as of lately. I know they've, they've slumped a little bit. So I think both these will, re-energize the, the, uh, the core group there and probably get them going in the right direction. I know we've had some speculation wondering about Dustin Bufflin recently. I think their GM came out and said uh, he was on the number 10 on the trade watch list because nobody had really known what's going to be of that situation. And their GM came out and said that at some point Bufflin had made the decision that he just wasn't going to play this year. And because of that, that kind of squashed any ability that Winnipeg had to make any kind of trade activity with him and get some return back and free up some cap space. So that's kind of unfortunate for Winnipeg. And also I saw that San Jose, you know, Eric Carlson's hurt. He's out for the year. Tomas Hurdle's out for the year. 
And now with them being on long-term injured reserve, uh, they have freed up $17 million in cap space to possibly use. It doesn't look like they uh, really did anything with it, you know, but uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. That's a lot of money to be sitting on the bench. Yeah, I actually also liked the pickup of the Vegas Golden Knights. They actually got Robin Ledner yeah. uh, at the end, towards the end. Uh, they dealt Malcolm Subban, yeah. um, Demon, and a second round pick to the Blackhawks, and then they retained 44%, and then, no, 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 Toronto retains 44%, and then Chicago retains 50%. It's a very technical trade, and Toronto gets a fifth round pick as well. That all said, I feel like that's a great one-two combo in oh, Vegas yeah. as far as having um, you have Flurry and now Ledner to basically do a one-two combo there. And I know they had some uh, goaltending struggles in December, which led to the firing and the replacement of Gerard Gallant. So honestly, I felt like that was a great move for them. They already have shown that they have tons of offensive firepower. So now if they have a one-two goalie punch, very smart move on their part. So uh, we'll we'll see what that does for them on their on the Pacific side. So another one I want to mention just because I thought it was humorous is that New Jersey Devil Wayne Simmons is now a Buffalo Saber. He's just dealt every year. He waived his uh, no move clause to get the heck out of there. In fact, so yeah. What's Subban thinking right now? Yeah, it's a black <laughs> hole right now. Well, I mean, it's like you're talking about how Ottawa is always in a rebuild mode. New Jersey's the same way. They're always in a rebuild mode. And Buffalo's kind of become that reputation now. They're always in a rebuild mode. Those are three teams in the East you're kind of like, are these guys ever going to make the playoffs again? Which I don't think they are. I don't think they're ever going to get their cap situation or their player situations or even just their game situation together where they're just going to be a contender for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you know, going back to Vegas for a second, uh, I happen to have the stat in my notes that it was maybe a week ago or so in this stat. I haven't looked recently, but at one point, Edmonton and Vegas were tied for first in the Pacific. But yet, if they had been in the Metro, that's only good enough for seventh place in the Metro. So that shows you how strong... We always had the Pacific's week or whatever, but Metro's looking really tough this year. So uh, it's going to be very interesting going forward, looking for Vegas especially. We'll switch into league news real quick before we get into the trades. It's been about two weeks since we recorded last, and there has been a few kind of high-profile things that have happened in those two weeks. The first one on February 10th, the Blues were at Anaheim, and J-Bo Mr. actually collapsed on the bench and had to be revived with the uh, AFib machine. Yeah, very scary situation on the bench. Um, I was actually watching some of this game live, too, and the players were physically picking up the bench to move it out of the way so that the the ENT staff could, could do their job. And... Um, they said that the Ducks physicians were there so quick because they were in another tunnel, obviously, so the motion for them. But they, they had like full-fledged doctors on him within 25 seconds. So um, if you're going to have a, <laughs> a problem, that's probably the place to have it because they more than likely could have saved his life right there. Yeah, it was it was kind of remarkable at how even the teammates immediately, you know, you could see... There was a clip. I just saw the highlight, but the the cameras kind of pan over the players in the background. You can say you can see Bomeister, and then immediately one or two of the teammates, you know, motion over for the training staff. And it's incredible at how you know guys get knocked down all the time. But to see that something was different here, this is this wasn't just he was bending over in pain. This was something unique, a quite a unique situation. They immediately recognized it, and you know, really a hats off to the teammates and the training staff to uh, handle the situation correctly. 
I think it, it was said that he had to go have surgery to have some kind of a defibrillator machine put in his heart or whatever. And uh, so it was it was a scary situation to be sure, but we're glad for sure that there was staff on hand to be able to take care of that. Yeah, the machine he had put in was called an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, and it restores his heart's normal heartbeat rhythm. Yeah, and that's a super sad situation because if you're thinking about it, like these are professional athletes who have great cardio. I, I mean, <laughs> way better than my routine. I can guarantee it. So when you see someone have a heart condition like this, like a cardio prop, like obviously it's some sort of underlying condition, some sort of, you know, it, it's genetics, you know, and it, it it's very sad because he might suffer with this the rest of his life. So hopefully he, they can get it under control with this new machine and he can be back out there because obviously we don't want to see his career end like this. But uh, it is very scary considering he is a peak professional athlete and this still can happen to anyone. And another situation that could have turned scary was on February 14th, the Oilers Cassian was suspended seven games for basically trying to kick Leiden's Eric Cernak during a pileup with Cernak and fellow Oiler Josh Archibald. Saw a replay of that. It's the dumbest thing ever. I was like, really, dude? You just got off of the suspension. Yeah. And well, you take a, basically a kick at a player's face with a skateboard. Yeah, with, with a razor sharp blade. I'm going to try to kick you in the chest with it. Like, I'm sorry. I probably would have tried to suspend him longer than, than this amount. I, I thought it was a little weak. Um, I think a lot of people had the same sentiment online from what I was reading. I felt like maybe 10 games should have been more or less the the actual punishment. Um, some people were calling for the rest of the season. I, I mean, it, it was a blatant anger reaction. Like, he just reacted in the heat of the moment. And the only problem is, when you're kicking someone with a skate like you can seriously injure that like i mean really bad like it you could kill somebody doing stuff like this so it is not to be trifled with and i i honestly think it should have been longer yeah i think they said uh, they offered him an in-person hearing which automatically means they can give you more than six games but i think it was said he declined that in-person hearing because that would have taken like a week to get done and in limbo, he can't play until they have a decision finalized. So in order to just speed up the process and get it over with so he can get back on the ice, he just said, you know, skip the in-person hearing. Just give me whatever you give me. If you're going to do something that dangerous, no, you don't get the way of it. You're coming up. You're going to be in limbo because you put another player's safety at risk. You know, it kind of, it's very interesting. Uh, last week, you know, Evander Kane got suspended as well, and he had some really harsh criticisms he had a whole statement online yeah, uh to the to nhl player safety department and everybody was kind of critical you know a couple years ago when they hired george peros to be the head of the committee and he was kind of basically to sum it up he said it's a flawed system you know paris doesn't know what he's doing it's there the refs are and, and the people in this committee are wildly inconsistent with how they call things and that things should be more even across the board and i think that's pretty much a sentiment that everybody pretty well agrees with whether it's the refs calling the game or the people who are doling out these suspensions. You know, for some people, it can be 10 games. Some people, the same thing. If Joe Thornton did that, he, he'd probably could have let off the hook. So it probably needs to be a little more even across the board, no bias or whatever. But then again, you know, rap sheet goes ahead of you. You know, you have a reputation. You know, if I see Vander Kane doing a dirty play, I'm probably going to suspend him too because he's got a freaking reputation. But, you know, that being said, we, we could deal with a little bit more consistency across the board. Yeah, and while Cassian wasn't feeling the love, there was also another team that wasn't feeling the love on Valentine's Day, and that was 
the Minnesota Wild. So what happened, Kyle? I was kind of shocked by that. You know, I'm sitting there on Twitter at work, you know, taking a little bit of downtime from the job, scrolling through, and I start seeing stuff come through. It says, Bruce Boudreaux has been let go. I'm like, what? Hold on. Scroll back through that. Yeah. Okay. He's let go. And I was like, that is, that's crazy because that's now the eighth coach in this league for the year that has been let go. Yeah. I actually found out that this, uh, that ties the record all time for most coaches let go in a year, making it the, the bloodiest season in history for in season coaching firings and in history pretty much. So there has not been much grace uh, as far as the way of coaches this year at all. And uh, we did see a guy who's close to home, kind of Dean Evison, is going to take over for him uh, in the interim. So yeah, he was, I believe, the assistant coach of the Minnesota Wild, and he did, uh, if I'm not mistaken, head coach the Admirals for a bit too. Yes, exactly. So that's kind of a name we're familiar with, and of course, another former bread organization person uh, in the uh, Minnesota Wild uh, department. So it's pretty funny. You mean Preds B team? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, okay, so I was watching the game the other night, and it was like Hartman, Fiala, Dubnik, Suter, and now like now we're it's literally that. I was like, oh my goodness, could this team not be? And it's literally Preds B team. I said that on the couch, so you cannot say it any better. And took the words out of my mouth. It's interesting though, because this is like I said, the eighth head coach we've had fired. And do you think the league is starting to go towards the direction of? They want results now. They're not willing to wait the process out. Because you got teams in the East, for example, like Buffalo, New Jersey, that are literally the epitome of patience. They try, they try, they try. They're telling their fans, be patient, be patient. And then you see, like, first-year GM Bill Gurren comes in and he's like, yeah, you know what, Boudreaux, you're gone. You're out. I'm not going to call Buffalo patient because they fired Housley within, like, a year and a half. And he is obviously the better coach in that two tandem just because he wasn't getting along with Jake Eichel that's why he was out yeah and uh, I mean let's face it if if Housley would have been available he would probably have been the head coach for the the National Predators come uh when uh Lavi was fired so uh I I I think it is very much a results now type of business they want to see it within a couple years but it, it's it just takes time like from what I've noticed as far as far as like teams building up and you know tearing down it's usually in like five-year chunks almost like if you could just look at it five to six years blackhawks they were extended a little longer they you know they had the dynasty for a while over the six years and then well they've fallen off the cliff and they're rebuilt so it it feels like every five years you're in these cycles where you're coming up and coming back down pred same way we went up we're back down we're trying to figure out how to get back up again like it's the same thing so uh i really don't know how to explain it but fans do have to be patient Yeah, that's kind of a similar sentiment to what I was thinking. It's not so much that they've got a shorter string this year as so much as it is that this is a couple, two or three years of pent-up frustration that's just now coming to a boiling point for these teams. And the teams that are seeming to be more patient is because they have more time before it gets to such a uh, aggressive, we have to do something right now because those teams, it's it's been building up. And this is just a couple of situations were forced with the Bill Peters or whatever, but as a whole, these are teams that they've had it coming, and now is the boiling point. But how much of that is actually on the coach or the player or the GM? Because your GM is your architect of your team overall. He's the guy that's basically saying, here's the plan I have, for example, a five-year plan for the team. And then you got to have a coach that's willing to buy into that. And you got to have players that are willing to buy into that. 
But then you have people like Jack Eichel, for example, who is the star of the Buffalo Sabres. And the coach is trying to basically do something his way. Does that mean this is becoming a players league instead of a coach's league? Where the, instead of it being the coach that tells the players, here's what you're going to do, that we now have the players having the ability to basically dictate what the team does? I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And it also depends on the organization. I, I think if you're talking about the Preds, it's very much a poil driven. And then he's also talking to the coaching staff. And then the players are just, you know, they're kind of down here. I mean, we've, we've dealt. Shea Weber, we've dealt um, P.K. Subban within the last several years. I mean, big trades. I mean, obviously, our staff is the one in control here. But it is funny that other organizations do tend to, like, oh, we have a player and we have to, like, treat him, you know, differently because, like, he might want to go somewhere else. Um, So, uh, it it is a very interesting dynamic in the league right now. Question then, what if Pecorini comes up to GMDP and goes, you know what, I'm not really getting along with this Coach Hine guy. I want to go somewhere or you let him go. I mean, he's pretty much the epitome of Preds Royal here. Like if anybody has a say so in this organization, it's going to be Pecorine because of how well respected he is. If he did come up to GMDP and said, I don't like John Hines, I want you to get somebody else or I'm going somewhere next season. Do you think David Poyle would say, okay, let's see what we can do. I mean, there's so many things that go into that. I think Poyle sits down and tries to understand why he doesn't like him. And like, cause he's a very calculated person. Uh, I mean, he's not going to move anyone or try to pull the trigger without thinking it through. Um, and, and of course, like in that situation, Peck's getting older and also at the end of his contract. So he would honestly have to weigh the two and then figure out what's going on. But I, I think he would figure out the problem before he dealt somebody like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just hypothetical. Obviously that'd be out of Pecorini's character, but I say John, Han- John Hines has a longer tenure remaining with the Preds organization as does Pecorini longer than Pecorini so I'd probably pick Hines and just kind of screw with whatever the player says it doesn't matter because you've got at least a few more years left with the coach and the goalie will probably retire in two or three years so what he's going to what he says in the long term doesn't really matter but that just kind of goes back to show you with you know what the fans call for how much how much uh, leniency do the fans have towards a certain organization you look at a dynamically opposite situation in Toronto. You know, last year they're like, hey, let's fire Babcock. We got to have results now. And now that things are still in the barn, uh, they're still in a barn fire in Toronto. So they're like, hey, we need to fire the gym. We need to do something because something's not going on. That just shows you how short of a leash some clubs are on, especially, you know, you know in the Toronto market. And that kind of pairs, you know, reminds me, it pairs something interesting that happened with Toronto recently as well. Oh my goodness. Yes, I laughed so much at this i mean it's kind of funny so if you didn't catch the game on february 22nd we had for one of the i guess the rare moments in the season where you see the actual emergency backup goalie for the night come in so you're not aware of what emergency backup goalie is it's basically a person in the stands who is there with their gear ready to be called on at a moment's notice and that's what happened saturday night with the carolina hurricanes both their goalies went down so they said, okay, we need the emergency backup goalie to come in to not play one, but two periods. I mean, it's, first of all, it's bad luck on the Hurricanes. Both their goalies get hurt, basically, in the first period. Second period comes around, need the emergency backup goalie. And the Maple Leafs say, okay, cool, we've got this 42-year-old Zamboni <laughs> driver for the Toronto Marlies named David Ayers, and he can play. And the Canes are like, 
All right. Bro, they didn't even know how to spell his name. Yeah. They were having to stitch up they the jersey. They were stitching it and they like were like, you could see the paper and it was misspelled and they scratched out and then they started writing his actual name. Like he had blue pants and a blue goalie mask on because yeah. he plays for like the Toronto, the local Toronto. Yeah. He I actually was, I was practices just like, with the Maple Leafs. I know. It, it was like, it was hilarious. So, you know, he gets out there, second period, lets two goals in. And it becomes all of a sudden a, instead of a 4-1 game, a 4-3 game. Yeah, it was it was looking bad there for the first couple of minutes. I was watching that. But to be fair and credit with the Canes, they told him, they said, we don't care if you let 10 goals in, you have fun. Because they are pretty much like, you know what? We're kind of screwed. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they were good 42. sports about it. Somewhere, Scott Foster in Chicago is just cheering this man on <laughs> from his accounting office. So, you know, the second period ends, it's 4-3, they come back to the third period, and this man stops the next eight shots, holds them scoreless, and the Canes go on basically <laughs> just, to win 6-3. But, bro, eight shots? Like, he's they an emergency only, goalie, and you only shoot, shoot eight <laughs> shots. <laughs> That's horrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Toronto, let me tell you, they <laughs> were bad. not having it, bro. This is an offensive juggernaut team. <laughs> we got like your foundation is we've got like ten, uh, four players worth like ten plus million dollars a year, and we're shooting eight pucks against the backup guy. Matthews, Tavares, like people like this shooting, and they literally. I'm watching this game, and I'm like, why are you not shooting the puck? Like, just shoot it. He is a 42 year old. Zamboni driver he cannot like the first goal that went in from Tavares like he literally just threw it at the net and it was like a low puck and he couldn't even get down quick enough like why are you just not peppering the net with shots I, it blew my mind uh, I've seen some crazy Toronto reaction online too the fans went nuts cause basically yeah he got embarrassed Toronto got embarrassed on a national level from it wasn't just an emergency it wasn't just uh, carolina beating them it was a emergency backup goal he doesn't even play in the nhl he is the he's not even he is the ahl marley's zamboni driver and they and he's from toronto so toronto gets beat by their own ahl zamboni driver on a national level and what's crazy is he played two periods yeah that was the thing that blew my mind. He actually played two, like, Scott Foster only had to play, like, a short period of time before, right. like, before he actually, you know, got the win. No, he played almost two full periods. Like, do not tell me <laughs> that this, <laughs> you could not have shot more pucks on net in two, almost two full yeah. periods. Like, I don't understand. How does the Toronto coach simply just go, guys, just shoot. Oh, he was mad. Just shoot oh he was so mad when that game ended did you see him turn and just walk straight back because he knew he knew he was about to get roasted in the press conference afterwards with the toronto media the best part though is when david Ayers comes out and of course all the canes you know they're tapping him you know saying good job get to it and stuff rod brendamore on the bench the look on his face is incredible because he's just like "Are, are you serious this is who it is yeah and steve dangle if you haven't oh. listened to his video, has the best reaction. It's basically six minutes of him screaming, screaming. that Toronto lost to a 42-year-old Zamboni driver. He, uh, yeah, of course, if you don't know Stephen Dangle, lifetime Leafs fan, has a YouTube video where he just rants on the, on the Leafs all the time. And he says, this is the most embarrassing loss in Leafs history. 
And I have to say, you know, I'm not a Leafs expert, but that sounds about right. I have yeah, to say. It, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's it's pretty bad. And I mean, his his neck vein is oh, yeah. like, it's literally bulging out and about to explode in this video. Uh, it is well worth a watch. That was a good watch for sure. I mean, let's be honest though. David Ayers has this story of a lifetime. He got 500 bucks, has a jersey with his name on it. The Canes are eating it up. They're flying him down to uh, Raleigh tomorrow. He's going to sound the siren for their game. They're basically making him like a media star. And I can't blame them because that's epic. Now, the funny thing is, is that because this happened in Toronto of all markets, they've already talked about that there may be a change to the emergency backup goalie rule because of this. Because I was telling Daniel before the show, we were talking about this for a moment. Of all places for this to happen is in Toronto. The Hockey Hall of Fame is there. Go down the street, man. The NHL headquarters it's is there. there. <laughs> everything that's everything about hockey is right there. And the Leafs had this happen to them in their own backyard. <laughs> so they were like, he's got the two-tone blue and red jersey scheme going on. Man. They're awful. <laughs> because apparently, so the Hurricanes are not strangers to this whole emergency backup thing. The last time this happened to them, they had their own equipment manager, George Alves, come in in 2017. Well, the league shut that down and said, the emergency backup goalie cannot be somebody who works for the team. Oh, really? Yeah. I I didn't even know that. They didn't have a choice. And it makes me wonder, why did Toronto pick a 42-year-old Zamboni driver as their emergency backup goalie? You're in Toronto, again, of all places. People play hockey there all the time. You have tons of young minor league goalies that could be honestly better than David Ayers. Hey, he got the job done though. He got the W. Yeah, yeah he did. <laughs> Scoreboard. Guess what? The storm surge is coming. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can't it, wait for it. Oh, oh, I would have loved for them to do a storm surge on oh, yeah. the Toronto. I mean, obviously the like, Toronto fans would have had an absolute fit, but he is a part of the storm surge now. Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking, official. I can't wait to for them to get back in Carolina they said, and see what kind of nonsense dance or jive they do this time. They said they were going to declare the day like David Eyes Day. Oh, well. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that's just rubbing it in yeah, to yeah. like, just send that yeah, one oh, yeah. straight that's to Toronto media. Just let's send it right there. <laughs> rub it in and just hit send. It just reminds me, for example, like Chris Mason of the Preds uh, broadcast team. He was a former goalie. Like, if we were in that situation... He couldn't play for us. We'd have to go rely on somebody else. And so what I think is going to happen is if they do revise the rule, I think they're going to make it so that it's got to be somebody of a probably between 20 and 30, somebody who has a very filled hockey resume. It's not just basically a men's rec goalie. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's kind of small. This is a small fry issue. This happened like once per year in the last two years. And before that, I can't think of, you know, of any significance really. Because the emergency backup goalies that's come in before haven't really made an impact other than a Scott Foster getting basically a shutout and then this guy coming in and winning the game. The reason this is a big deal is because it's Toronto. If it wasn't for it being Toronto, this wouldn't be a big deal. So I'm interested to see how, how high of a priority this, it, this is on the list going forward and to see if they do make any changes to it. I don't know. Yeah, everybody likes poking a little fun at Toronto because they think they're all that. But Bat... I have to ask you now. Oh. What are the Red Wings going to do? Bro, what would the Red Wings do? Don't don't even get me started on the Red Wings. They're already out. I, dude, that was so that before was so trade, sad. Before the trade deadline. Yeah. 
we, what we were doing the other day, uh, I think we were on Twitter, and we were just talking about something random about the hockey game. And then somebody that follows us is in is responding responding to our account and says, "Oh yeah, that that goal is fine and all, but did you know the Red Wings have already been eliminated from the playoffs?" And that was how the bubble got burst for me. That's how I saw it, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's sad." <laughs> Well, that, let's, well let's, let's take a deep dive into some of their stats right now. Well, well thank you. Their uh, games played, 64. They have won 15 games. Yeah. I uh, saw this beauty stat that said, uh, of course, this is about a week ago or so. Is this the Montreal one? Yeah. We, oh, so God. Detroit season series against Montreal. They've, they've kicked their tail 4-0. The Detroit's swept won all them. four. All, swept them for the season series. But... Those four goals account for 27% of their entire wins on the season. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Bro, their goal differential is minus 110 right now. Oh my God. Pull the truck, pull the car around. It, it's so bad. So Matt, I want you to take your jersey and just burn it. Is, hey. this, is this officially the lowest it can be? For like, yeah, I, oh yeah, there's been, no going lower. You've been lower. a Detroit fan for life, obviously. So this is it. This is the earliest <laughs> a team has been eliminated from playoffs since '95. <laughs> so you mean the the Red Wings era? Yeah, yeah. And now here it is. You know, however many years later, now Detroit's out. It's not even the trade deadline. And so here's what's going to here's what's going to piss Red Wings fans off. Is all, they're not going to get the first all two pick. of you out there? Yes. <laughs> is we have about an 18% chance to win the draft lottery and get Lafreniere. So it's like, okay, if you're doing this bad, historically terrible, okay, well, give me the draft pick. But it's likely in the way the season's going, <laughs> you think 18%, that's not very confident. I don't, that's not confidence inspiring. I think after you eclipse the minus 100 gold differential, you should be given at least two or three extra. Yeah. Point. You I, know, like maybe give me an extra ping pong ball. If it, if it's me, we had a small discussion on this the other day. I think the percentage for the very last place team needs to be about 70% that they'll win the lottery as a condolence prize. Because you said, what was your rebuttal to this, Daniel? So the this is all in place, especially in the NBA. You see this commonly because it's to prevent tanking. And I understand this and the NBA is really bad about it. And I think the NHL is less bad about it because if you're looking at the teams like on any given night, a team can beat another team. There's that much disparity in the league. That said, these teams try really hard and there's a lot of pride on the line. Like uh, any given night, you have a terrible team and they are still playing really hard. So I'm still in favor for having like a lottery that does prevent teams from just absolutely tanking and trying to get better players. But at the same time, I feel like they should wait it a little higher for especially those last five, like you know how they come out with the whole thing. And it's like, what was the top 10 or the last 10 actually have a shot at, at the first round pick, even though it's like extremely slim. So, Oh, we're pulling up the stats now. So yeah, Buffalo still has a 5% chance at nine. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, I, I feel like it should be weighted really heavy on the top, like your, I say top three, but your worst three teams. Like yeah. those three teams should be like 40, 30, and 20, you know, and then it really is slim towards the, the, the end. So I, I don't know. That's just me personally, especially when, I, I mean, they're, they're bad. They, they are just bad. I, I, What's the over under on goal differential this year? I mean, where do they finish at? I mean, a hundred. Yeah. It's my. It might be a hundred and forty. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of something like Colorado several years ago when they were just like the bottom of the league, and everyone was like, 
dude, they're getting the first round pick because they had a 25% chance to get the first round pick and they didn't get it. They got like fourth. Yeah. So currently the projections are uh, the Kings have a 13% chance. Detroit has 18%. So that's only 5% more, even though they're doing, Detroit's doing twice as bad. So I think by not giving Detroit at least a majority chance to get the number one pick, only hurts the organization and the team, whoever it is, not just Detroit, give it next year or who the team the next year after. That doesn't matter. Whichever team is last, it hurts them because there's a higher probability of them not getting that pick, which only hurts them more. And we talk about how disparity is good for the league ratings because you have, you ideally want more teams that can compete uh, on any given night with any other team. But by giving not the worst team the best pick, that helps a team that really doesn't deserve it as much. So that's going to make Detroit stay in the basement for longer as opposed to helping the team that needs the help the most. So rather than it be 18%, it really needs to be like 65, I think. None of this. Well, that's eight, what I was saying. At least your top three teams need yeah. to be like 40, 30, 20. Or like, those are your worst three teams, obviously. So I, I, it does seem quite hilarious that like Buffalo still has like a 5% yeah. chance. Like. So I'm surprised, though, that Detroit hasn't tried to do the Montreal-Ottawa route and just stock up on draft picks. Well, oh, my goodness. The only good... I don't know if you call it good news. I was kind of sad. So they traded uh, Andres Anthony CU, uh, got a couple picks for him or whatever. I didn't even look at what they traded him for because they just needed a little bit of cap space. In fact, number 22 on the trade bait list this year is Detroit's cap space. That's how bad it is. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's I bad. didn't realize it was possible with an actual number on yeah, the tra- there's not a guy there's not like a, a player name it's detroit's cap space so anthony cu has about a three million dollar uh cap space so that frees up a little bit of room it's kind of sorry to see him uh leave you know is one of the best players there for detroit but he's so fast too him and mcdavid oh, my oh yeah so Lord. he gets it's traded gonna, it's gonna to be, the oilers so his speed and mcdavid's speed somebody said it's gonna be like a dragon ball z fight where oh, yeah. you can't see anything until it's over and the puck's already in the back of the yeah, net it's gonna be fun to watch so i can't i uh, can't imagine a good for him you know you went from the basement of the league to playing with mcdavid so that's uh that's a pretty good deal for uh anthony cu so maybe get better uh better greener grass on another side of the fence look at those picks i know so while matt was talking we pulled up the uh the ottawa senators picks and the montreal's uh canadians picks and it's kind of ridiculous so the ottawa senators for the 2020 draft have seven picks in the first two rounds. Seven picks in the first two rounds. Wow. That's amazing. I hope this class is deep for them. They're really, they've really gone all out for this class. Wow. Seven draft picks. They have 13 total within the six, six rounds. <laughs> I love it. That's excitement, baby. And then so. you've got Montreal with 14 over here. 14 total. Uh, now they're more evenly spread out. So they only have one first round three second, and then it kind of spreads out in the middle there. But I, I cannot get over seven seven draft picks in the first two rounds for Ottawa. Congratulations. I mean, they are in straight rebuild, and they're going for it. They're basically getting down to a skeleton crew. So what's important to note about this is they also have the Sharks pick, and the Sharks are not doing well this year. The Sharks were supposed to be good this year, yeah. by the way. So not only is that, that pick was supposed to be bad, you know, like that was supposed to be like, okay, the Sharks are a good team this year. That turned into a really good pick. So they are picking two low, low draft picks in this draft. Uh, it is, that is going to be incredible for them. 
I mean, still, I mean, Matt, they could get the first overall pick. <laughs> How would you feel if Ottawa has loads up like this, then gets the number one the overall f- pick? Number one, yeah, number that's going to be a, a Stephen Dangle moment right there for all the Red Wings fans. You can just you can just look it up. Oh, they'll be picketing in Detroit yeah. if they don't get the first one. But there is a good chance. I mean, the the stats are against you if you think about it. They are. <laughs> Not a shocker. So, I mean, do you even own a Preds jersey? Yes. Yes. Is it gold or is it the uh, blue or is it the silver? The gold. Is your name on it? No, that's ridiculous. I have a player's name. What player do you have? I have a couple. I've got a Subban. I've got a Yossi. I don't know. I think you should put one that says Detroit sucks on the back of it. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's where that was going. <laughs> I just kept, I was just like, this is, yeah, okay. this is a lead in. <clears throat> Trying to walk me into it here. How does your wife feel about Detroit season? Because no, she's a big Red Wings fan too. Yeah, it's kind of a look away, it hurts kind of situation. So, well, honestly, if you look at their cap space, though, you get them through next year and a lot of their like long term injury reserves and a lot of their um, like salary retentions are dropped off. Yeah. So, uh, honestly, get through next season. It's still not going to be good next season. We're bad, on, we're it, bad on the books for like it, yeah. another two or three years yeah. at least. Uh, honestly, next season is still going to be bad. Uh, it's going to take at least two f- to start climbing back up. Three, you're looking probably pretty good. Like, it, just give it some time. Eiserman's there. He's going to come resurrect the team. Don't worry. Okay? So, just, it's, it's okay for you Red Wings fans. That being said, let's talk about the Preds real quick. So, they didn't do anything really spectacular the trade deadline today. Shipped Matt Irwin off on a one-way missile. But not to the moon. I know. Well, we hadn't seen Matt Irwin for a while. Oh, let's be honest. I forgot he was on, even on the team, which... Did not hurt my feelings a whole lot, just because you know my feelings on Weber and Irwin. But uh, he is now an Anaheim Duck. Which probably suits him more, because they're, they are about that physicality. So yes, we shipped off Matt Irwin and a six-round pick for, oh my, this is going to be an interesting, Corbinian Holzier. That is my best attempt without ever hearing him actually in person. So there you go. I know that the analytics department of the Preds Twitter already is not a fan of him because he is statistically worse than Irwin. Oh, really? Yeah. I, honestly, I think it's just a big body penalty killer because obviously our penalty kill is one of the worst in the league this year. So I honestly think that is where we were going as far as just giving us a little bit more depth and just a bigger body person. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of shocking that for two years in a row now we basically have one of the worst special teams. Yeah. overall it, but it's one or the other it's just funny it's like well even against the chicago game it was the worst power play team chicago versus the worst penalty kill team predators <laughs> oh yeah yeah just, and when they scored i was like i'm not surprised we are so bad even the worst power play team can yeah. score on us That's, that was not a good stat right there yeah honestly it, it was funny because the last two years the trade deadline as it approached there was huge lead up for the Predators because we were wanting to make that move. We were trying to yeah. find Matt Duchesne. Man, that was it. What yeah. two, two, two years. years before? It was just like we were hunting for Duchesne sweepstakes. Blah, blah blah blah. You know, whatever. That that's how it was for the last two. This trade deadline, it was coming up, and I just knew we weren't going to do anything because we're right at that line where we're okay. We're you know we're hovering. We're actually trending up, which I'll get into a little bit in a minute. But you're you're not in a playoff position, but you're right there. You have games at hand. 
the team seems to be doing a little better, but you don't want to sell all out. I mean, because granted, you could have tried to pawned off Granlin and Smith and gotten, you know, tons of draft picks. But at that time, then you're saying, okay, the season's over. Like, you're essentially saying that to your your staff and, and to the rest of the players. So this year, it just kind of seemed like they were going to stay pat, and that's what happened. And honestly, in my opinion, Ryan Ellis coming back is your trade line acquisition. Like, he's coming back. He looks pretty good, actually. I mean, he looked fantastic the other night uh, against Columbus. So that is a great sign, and that's honestly where I thought we were going to be. Ellis comes back. We don't do much. Maybe add a little depth. What do you know, a defenseman? And that was about it. <laughs> Outside of signing Rocco Grimaldi. Yes. Now, <laughs> as soon as this happened in our text group, we started talking about this and honestly could not believe that we got this done for $2 million a year. Phenomenal. That's my kind of deal right there. Uh, let's go ahead and mention the, the big stat on him, really, is that last year he was on a $1 million contract. He had 30 points. And that 30 points was four points fewer than Johansson and eight points fewer than Matt Duchesne, who each make $8 million. Yeah, he has 30 points this year in 58 games. Yeah. And he's only making $1 million this year, and he's going to only make $2 million the next two years after that. Fantastic deal. And we talked in the past, anybody who's known me for a while knows I don't like large contracts. I don't like large sums of money. I did not like Johansson at eight mil. Because when you make when you pay a player that much, some players might be worth it, your John Carlson's or whatever. But when you when you hire a guy on your team, I don't it might be a right fit for somebody else to pay. You know, Toronto, you guys can pay four players ten million. How's that working for you? But as far as the team that I that I like and that I watch, I don't like us to hire a guy for eight mil. And same thing with uh Duchesne and Johansson are both eight million dollar guys because when you pay a player that much the tendency the only thing they could do is disappoint you're not going to impress me because i'm expecting you to make 80 points this year so the only thing you can realistically do is let me down whereas you take a guy like grimaldi who's hungry who's relatively fresh in the league he's still a young scrapper i'm always a fan of get, give me a player that makes less than $3 million a year because they're hungry, they want it, they've got a chip on their shoulder, there's something to prove that they can hang in this league and that they can go out and earn the big dollars. Just look, it went, the uh, Preds made that big push for the Stanley Cup a couple years ago. We had low-dollar players who barely made the playoffs, but they were hungry and they wanted it. And if you look, I did a little, little bit of math here, if you look at point production per dollar value, Grimaldi... It's a 30 points per million dollars value. Duchesne and Johansson are both less than five points per million dollars, which means that Rocco Grimaldi is six times more productive per dollar than both Duchesne and Johansson. And it's less liability because if he doesn't perform, he's only costing me, you know, a fourth of the price tag of them. He's six times more productive. Yeah, honestly, that was a contract saying that I want to be here with this team. And I want to win with this team. Honestly, I don't, because the math, as as Matt has done, it doesn't add up for a two million dollar a year contract. I mean, honestly, he's he's in that three to four million probably range where Arvidsson was uh, when when he got his deal, and even the RV deal was incredible. 
especially for the length that we were able to sign him for. So, um, absolutely shocked that we got it done at two. Super happy. Super well-deserving. Yeah. He's such a great guy. I mean, literally everyone says that about him in the, the post games and the, and the interviews and everything. I mean, he literally has his like family members on the sticks. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you've seen this where he'll have, um, like his grandfather who passed away, like was on one of his sticks one night and he ended up scoring a goal. Like he's, oh, that's awesome. he's like, he's just a good guy. Like Man, uh, he's been yeah. a very good player this entire season. He's been on a line with, uh, Craig Smith, Nick Benino, and they've been one of the most productive lines in NHL. Killing it. So natural stat trick has their line so far this season of having 28 goals for and only 10 goals against. I mean, they are, they are basically our top line. Even if they're not getting paid for it, they are our top line. Yeah, so uh, moneypuck.com actually has them at the fifth best line in the league. Wow. And I'll put it like this. They have played less games together all at the same time. So like at this point, it's one of those like, let them be. I, the only ones that were in front of them were like Pacioretty, Stephenson, and Stone. Point, Kucherov, and Palat. Getzel, Malkin, and Rust. That that is the same category that the Grimaldi Bonino Smith line is in this year. Incredible! They are actually ahead of Vegas's Pacioretty, Stastny, and Stone line. Wow, (laughs) it's mind-boggling right now. They just they outwork you. I mean, that's basically what it is. And they're a crazy mismatch being on the third line. Yeah. So like I said, that line is what's reminiscent for me of how the Preds were a couple years ago. You had an entire team of that kind of work ethic, that kind of that kind of hustle and, and scoot from those types of players. So that's that's incredible. I'm, I'm glad to see that. And like I said, there's so there's such of a less risk than if your Duchesnes and Johansons don't produce. So that's incredible. I wish the rest of the team looked as good as they did right now, and we wouldn't be having uh, the same situation as we got right now. Yeah, expected goals are at 62.1 percent. <laughs> it, it's unreal. They're they're above point Stamkos and Kucherov, Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen lines. They're, they are producing better than those lines. Let that sink in. Well, that being said, with all these stats we just went over, I'm going to ask you guys the same question I asked you guys about a month ago. Do you think the Preds are going to make the playoffs? Trade deadline's over. I asked the same question on Twitter the other day through the group account, and we got a dead 50-50 split. It, oh, was, really? it was dead 50-50. I was wondering how that turned out. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with what I've been sticking with. And like I said, history repeats itself. And it's what I've said for months is that I'm going to still say no. Although we're slightly trending in the better direction, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to get into some I'll let stats you, on uh, that. So go ahead. Kyle, what do you think? For the moment, I am going to flip my vote and say if they continue on the upward swing. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, we got a party flipper oh, here. No, I'm just saying. You can't say if they continue on the upward swing. It's a yes or no. Like, I mean, because they're obviously going to have... That's true. You got to put, put your sack on the line obviously, here, Obviously, they're going to have a couple games that they lose here and there. I mean, they're not going to have a 10-game win streak going... Okay, so... Okay, fine. Yes, I think they will. Okay, yes. That's, that's very interesting. So, I'm going to say yes. And some of the reasons why I actually took a look back at the last 13 games. And the Predators are 8-4-1 in those 13 games. And it's actually one of the best in the league, surprisingly enough. We didn't win those games by a lot of points, though. <laughs> like, if you go back and look, 
they're like one goal games. And almost every game I've actually noticed this since John Himes has taken over, they are very close. It's because of that new defensive structure where we're playing zone defense, zone defense instead of it, 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 it's just it is very close. The games does not make for great watching as a fan. I, I will put it like that because the goal differential is going to be hovering around zero. So, I, but yes, they are trending up. They are winning the games. Now, I tell you what, the next there's several games on the schedule. I mean, looking ahead, they have to win a few of these games. But it is crazy how many critical games we still have left in our schedule. Calgary is still left. Edmonton is still left. Minnesota twice. We have Dallas two more times. Chicago, Winnipeg again. Actually, I'm sorry. We have Minnesota three more times. You think those games are important considering where they're at too? I I mean, you win the games that you should win and you are in. This Calgary game coming up this week is huge because they are right in front of us in a wild card spot and we have games at hand. If you win outright that game, that is a huge swing. So I'm going to say yes, but it is going to be, I mean, they have to win the games that they need to. Like if they lose the Calgary game, their chances go down probably at least 10% because they're in front of them. You know, I I thought it was interesting. I saw a tweet, uh, TSN Sports today said the Preds have a 73% chance to make the playoffs. And I don't know where they're getting that from because the Preds haven't been in a playoff position like all year. So I don't know where they're suddenly, maybe they're looking in the future in the trending direction, but... It's the games at hand, honestly. Yeah, that that might be one of the main factors. Because some of the teams that are in front of them, like I said, Calgary, like if you win that game, that is huge. Absolutely huge. Like you you need to win that game. Actually, we even face, I believe, Arizona. So we face Calgary and Arizona, which are the two teams in front of us in a wildcard position. And both those teams have played more games. So the, the thing is about Arizona is they've played four more games than us, but they're only two points ahead of us. So I understand where they're getting the math, but yeah. like I said, they have to win we'll those games. It. They need to win Calgary. They have to win the, the, the Arizona game. Well, I don't, this is what sucks. You, you've, you've screwed around all year, and now you're in a position where one game is going to determine if you make the playoffs or not. I don't like that. I don't like to live on the edge like that. I want it settled in stone. My guys either produce or I'm shipping you off. No, and it's I think, not ideal. I think it was very interesting, very telling, David Poyle this time around. You know, he's calm and collective. People were kind of wondering, oh, well, are we going to be sellers because we're on the outside or we're going to do nothing? Or we're going to make moves to, to gain assets? He kind of stayed in the he middle, didn't the do anything. And I think that's telling that he's possibly waiting it out as well because you don't want to make a move uncertain. You don't want to be a buyer and then, you know, not make the playoffs by the last game. So I think that's also telling us to where the front office is and their mindset is on the same situation. But it's frustrating because the roster, the way it is, they need to not be screwing around and it come down to the wire like this. I mean, they they are trending up though since Heinz took over. So that is the, that is the only positive that you can take away because honestly, when if you say right when Lavi was fired, I'm probably saying uh, they're they're probably not making the playoffs because at the time we still had a couple games at hand. But like when you have a coaching change, it is very difficult to get everyone on board. Yeah. I, 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 everyone knows this. The Blues thing was just a it, it just happened once. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. I, I'm sorry. It's gonna happen occasionally, but yeah, it, it takes some time to get on that system and. And honestly, they are trending in the right direction. They just got to keep it up. They just got to keep plugging away. If they start winning two, 
for every one game. They, that's the mentality. They got to just keep doing that to get to the playoffs. Um, but it's scary because there is one or two games that really matter coming up. Yeah. Like I had the Calgary game, the uh, the Arizona game, the Minnesota games are going to be huge. You have Dallas two more times. I, I mean, it, it's going to be a blood. It's going to be a nail biter Winnipeg, this year. Winnipeg too. So literally out of the last like 20 games, there's 10 or so that really matter as far as the seeding goes. So who knows where it's going to happen, but I think I'm just, I'm hoping they can just eke in and get that one wild card spot and get hot at the right time. Cause as we know before from the Stanley cup run, all you got to do is get in and anything can happen after that. So Matt, as we get ready to close the show up, got any milestone stats we've not went over yet today. Yeah, I've got a couple things. Uh, we're talking about that Pred system, and I was kind of chuckling earlier because uh, this stat says that three defensemen currently lead their clubs in scoring. So obviously, John Carlson, Roman Yossi, and Brent Burns. And if this continues to the end of the year, this will be the third year in history that three or more defensemen have finished the year uh, leading their respective clubs in scoring. So that's that's pretty interesting going forward. And of course, speaking of John Carlson... Uh, some more milestones about him and Ovechkin is is uh, the normal of lately. Uh, only four defensemen in the last thirty years have required fewer games than John Carlson to score forty points. So he's still continuing on his normal pace. And the big news really is Ovechkin is now in the seven hundred goal club. He is the eighth player in history to seven hundred goals, and now has become the fastest player in history to go from 600 goals to 700 goals, a record that was previously held by Wayne Gretzky at age 29, and Ovechkin beat his mark by 14 games fewer, and Ovechkin is five years older than Gretzky was at that period of time. You know what that means. He's going to push he's that. He's creeping it. up. He's pushing babe. it. Yeah, that stat is, is quite telling that, he's, honestly. He's catching Gordy in a couple years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Two more seasons like this, and he's past Gordy. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, honestly, years ago, if someone would have told me that someone would be able to catch Gordy and Gretzky's record, I would have said no. There's no way. That, like, it's not even possible. Well, here, and the fact that he has been able to consistently do this is amazing. Yeah. I, I think the thing that gets understated here is Gretzky's goals that's what we're talking about is Gretzky's goals. Uh, is Ovechkin catching that? But I don't think Ovechkin will not catch Gretzky's uh, assists. Oh, his points. No, no one ever. Yeah. I mean, it's Gretzky, thousands. I think, has more points in, in all time list than anybody else, even if he scored no goals at all because he had so many assists. Yeah, his assists are off the off the charts. But just the fact that you can beat Gretzky in goals, I mean, that's that's pretty telling. Or you know, you're on pace and we're to, you're in the discussion. So so that's that's a big deal. But I don't know. I mean, he's the eighth player ever to do it. Yeah. I mean, he is in the best club to be in. I mean, it it's unreal. And what's crazy is one more year and he's like in the top four. Yeah. He's, all he's time. on pace for that. And then two years from now, he's literally hit. If he's still on pace doing what he's doing right now, he will hit 800 goals, which he's is like way my, better that, than Sidney Crosby. That is, that is, the best of the best company. If, if I mean, if you're looking at it, Matt, it's Gretzky and Gordy Howe. That is the best. And he's a Russian. Yeah. He's got all the traits. I, I think I just have a chip on my shoulder with him. He's a Russian. You know, I should love his guts, man. But 
something just doesn't sit quite well with me knowing that he gets 15 feet of space every time he winds up <laughs> for the one-timer. Like, you know, Gretzky had some skill, some handles. Crosby's got some handles or whatever. So, I don't know. I feel like somebody ought to put a body in front of him. I think they're scared to get hit with the puck or something. But We've seen what happens. You put a body in front of him, he still scores. You know what's funny, though, is I saw a graphic of his 700 goals, and a lot of them were in front of the net, actually. Um, so Because he goes to the net a lot, yeah. and he gets those. So, it's actually shocking because everyone's like, oh, it's, that's his office. Well, well, yes, he does get a lot from that spot on the power play. But a lot of his other goals yeah. are like down and dirty, like in your face goals. And I think that's one thing that people don't understand about him is he knows where to get the puck. He knows where the rebound's coming at, and he is so good at it. It's unreal. I saw a clip of him the other day on the bench taking the blowtorch to the visor on his helmet so he could put that shading in there, a little bit of polarization because so it reflects the glare or whatever. I think he put that blowtorch on it and it made the visor darker. I didn't know that's how it's done, or I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be done, but by God, Ovechkin was doing it. So Russian ingenuity. They that's right, they baby. Don't they don't care, screw around man. in Russia, man. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I'm just, I'm super happy for him to be able to hit the 700 club. Oh, yeah, definitely. Did, first of all, did you guys see the, the video of his parents congratulating him. It's literally the best thing ever. I'll have to send it to you after the show. It's his parents are in Russia and they send the video and it's literally them speaking Russia and they call him Sasha over there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, his yeah, name in yeah, Russia. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Alexander and right, but the, he's like, oh, and he goes through and he's like, oh, I'm so happy for Sasha and we're just so excited for him. Hopefully good health and he can beat Gretzky's record. It was like, I'm like, that's awesome. I'll have, parents, to, I'll have to look that up. His parents are even cool. Oh, like, God. He's literally the best. Uh, he's expecting another child now. What a great week for him. Like, he's he's just awesome. He, he's 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 awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, Matt's slowly coming to grips with this. He's but. the man, dude. He's the man. <laughs> no, I even thought I was at a game. I, I don't remember where it was, but they obviously were playing Washington. I saw a fan had a Russian jersey of his. Well, it was a Capitals jersey, but they translated it to Russian, so his name was in Russian on the back, and it was it was pretty tight. That would have been sweet. I thought, uh, I thought about doing that for uh, Pavel Datsuk and getting uh, whatever team it is that he plays for in, uh, in the Russian league and, and getting that jersey because I've seen it out there and putting that in my collection uh, as well. But that's all I got for, uh, for right now, guys. Daniel, what games we got coming up? Well, I kind of gave a little spoiler alert because I started talking about all the specific games that meant something. But uh, tomorrow night, we actually have Ottawa. This week, we also have Calgary and Colorado. Uh, next week after that is Edmonton, Minnesota, Dallas, and Dallas. And by that time, we should be recording again on Monday, March the 9th, which is crazy because we will be this close to the end of the season. This close. It has been a very fast season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we will probably get two more episodes in before the playoffs, and hopefully we can get to the playoffs. But then, it's playoff time, baby. Bracket I mean, here's the deal. Like, even if the Preds make it or not, playoff hockey season is the best time of the year. Best time, baby. And man, you better believe all three of us will be on that couch right in there playing for almost every single game, and we'll be bringing you all the news and updates and analysis on every game because we love playoff hockey. Maybe this year my bracket will do better. <laughs> Bro, you're... I, 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 I think love on, bracket time. I think, honestly, all of our brackets are going to do better this year because... It was not a, not a good year last year. It was not a good year. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible, actually, so... Well, guys, that has been the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find Music City Gold on iTunes at Music City Gold. You can find us on Twitter at Music City Gold as well. And you can also find us on penaltyboxradio.com. So once again, guys, 
Thanks so much for joining the show. We'll see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.